Alright, so after being in some trouble, or actually serious trouble before the weekend, the Yankees are able to uh, get the job done somewhat, win two out of three at Tampa Bay, the final two games of the three-game set at the trough, and now they return home for six games against the Astros and the White Sox. Get six games they desperately need to win. Um, really, five and one is about the least they can do to cut it here to stay in this race uh, for the second wild card. The dreams of the division are, are pretty much shot, but we'll get to that. And here to join me today to talk some Yankees baseball is Ben Kabach of River Ave Blues. Ben, how's it going today? Good, Neil. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, going into that last series, I, I thought these next nine games, three against Tampa Bay, three against Houston, three against Chicago, I thought six and three would cut it. But then when you look at what the other teams did, uh, the way their schedules stack up, there's a lot of Minnesota on the schedule for Kansas City and Detroit. Uh, Baltimore's got a pretty easy road. They've got both Chicago teams, the Reds, um, a lot of Boston on there. So really 6-3 and three might not cut it. It might be 7-2, and two, and that means a 5-1 homestand now against Houston and Chicago. Is a 5-1 homestand for this Yankees team too much to ask for at this point? You know, it's a lot to ask for, but I think they need to do it, and they know they have to win. Um, I think, as you pointed out a few times over the last few days, they do face Chris Sale this weekend. So, so five and one is probably you know your, your upper bounds of what you're going to get, unless they can pull one out. But, but they're at the point. You know, it, it sounds like a cliche, but they're at the point in the season where they have to win every game. Well, I know going back to a couple weeks ago when I was in Boston for that series and uh, watching them drop that Friday night game was was pretty devastating going against the guy making his Major League debut. Um, once again, the offense is stagnant, which it's been now the entire season, um, with the exception of a few games where you think they're going to turn around, you think positive things are, are just around the corner, and, and then they you know they let up with it. They get shut out or they get one run or two runs. And that's just been the storyline this entire season. And you tweeted at me back then, you were like, you know, hey, Neil, this, this 2014 Yankees team just isn't good. And they're, they're really not. I mean, four games over 500 at this point isn't good. And it's the worst they've been in the last, you know, 18 years except for last year. But they show signs where they make you want to believe. And it just seems to me like they show enough signs to keep you attracted. But at the same point, they're just running out of games to get it done. And now with 40 games left, I mean, realistically, they probably have to win 25 to win a playoff spot, and, to, and that might not even do it. 88 wins might not even do it at this point. Is there a number you're sort of looking at for them to get to that will give them hope with the second wild card? You know, you want them to get to 90. 90 seems to be the magic number these days to get in, but they, you know, they, they've got a tough schedule, and there are a lot of, I hate to say good teams, but there are a lot of mediocre to okay teams that are fighting for this playoff spot that I think are a little bit more complete than this Yankee club is right now. Um, you know, and to what you were talking about, you know, you, after you saw that Red Sox loss on that Friday, they bounced back with two really solid wins. They outpitched the Tigers, and they scored 10 runs against the Indians, and you thought they had finally turned the corner, and they've just sort of fallen off the table since then, even with these two wins this weekend against Tampa Bay. Well, going into the, you know, going into that Cleveland series after what they had done to the Tigers, I really did think they turned the corner. I thought they were ready to go on a roll, take us through September, and it looked like um, I believe at that point they were half a game out of the second wild card, and it seemed like the teams around them, Kansas City was in the middle of a five-game winning streak then. Obviously, they extended that, and they got to the point now where they lead the Central. But uh, back then, it was them, it was, it was the Royals, it was the Blue Jays, and the Mariners were, I think, three back of them at the point before they went on their own streak. But I think it just goes to show how quickly things can change in a week. And going into that Saturday game against Cleveland, uh, even though they're facing Corey Kluber, you think, you know, even if they lose this game, they can bounce back uh, on Sunday. Or, or maybe it's Carrasco then Kluber, um, or Kluber then Carrasco. Either way, you expect it was, them. It was Kluber then Carrasco. Yeah, yeah. So you expect them to at least split at worst, 
and they don't do that. And Carrasco hadn't won in like 17 starts or whatever, going back to three years ago. But and then they dropped both games in Baltimore, which was just a disaster. And um, you know, I've been as heavy of a critic as there ever has been a Joe Girardi and his bullpen management and the guys he turns to in some spots. And then in that second game of the Baltimore series, he finally shows some urgency um, and it comes back to bite him by going to the Batantis early in the Pineda start. And I guess let's start there with, you know, his decision-making. He's the guy, you know, Girardi, who will throw away games early in the season. I mean, he let enough guys who aren't even on this roster anymore blow games for them. And then when it gets to the point where he has to desperately win a game against the team to keep him in the division race, he finally turns to it. And it blows up in his face, which I'm all right with. I'm, I was fine with the Batantis move. I, you know, I, I had no problem with him. I think he probably should have even stuck with him after the home run. But he goes to Sean Kelly, guys who hurt them time and time again. Um, you know, have you been a fan of these moves over the last few weeks? I know you're a little more conservative with Girardi, Girardi approach than I am. But, I mean, some of these moves have to get to you at some point. Yeah, I mean, I go back and forth on this. I don't think he. I don't think he. He's been a very good manager for the Yankees, and his strength is the bullpen. I know people have been critical of that, but he's been able to coax some very good performances out of relievers you wouldn't have expected. And I think you know, there's a tendency when you have someone like Patentis and you have someone like Robertson, who right now are two of the top relievers in the game in the pen. There's a tendency among the fan base and among the, the people who are commentating on the games to want to go to them at every possible opportunity. And the problem is that you just can't. You're, you you have limited opportunities in the game to maximize their appearances, and you have you know a certain number of times over the course of the season where you want to get these guys in. And Batantis is already up to a, you know a reasonable number of appearances in a lot of innings for somebody who's sort of in his second season of being a reliever and getting into the grind of sort of being available three out of four games or or four out of six games. So you don't want to over over use these guys. You know, that said, Girardi certainly played favorites with Sean Kelly lately, and it's come back to bite him a few times. You know, I think he, he recognizes that if he wants more guys to pitch well, he's going to have to trust them in certain situations where we as fans don't necessarily want to see them come in. But, you know, he went to Kelly yesterday in a tight situation. He got me out. I don't think anybody was too comfortable with that appearance, <laughs> but he did it. Um you know, Batantis, he's thrown 73 innings already, 54 games. He's going to probably reach or, or get near to 100 innings, which for a reliever is just an incredible amount. And, you know, he seems very durable, very durable, but it's just, you know, it's a new role for him. Well, that's the thing. I think with Kelly, it comes down to the fact that, you know, Jardy trusted him last year. He was a setup guy last year, not exactly, you know, in the best season um, to, to be that role when Robertson was down. He sort of, you know, made himself uh, into a prominent Yankees reliever after his time with the Mariners. But, it does seem like Girardi plays favorites with him, and I don't get it. I mean, yes, he does have incredible you know, strikeouts per nine innings, which is something that it seems like almost every reliever on every team in this day and age of baseball has. Yeah. But, I mean, his, you just can't trust the guy. And, and whether it's the walks or he, – he, it seems like he'll go and strike out the side one game and then turn around and give three hits without getting it out the next game. And he just can't be trusted. And that same you know, notice is Adam Warren, who struggled as a starter in the league, became a reliever, obviously saw velocity and his fastball increase the way we saw with Phil Hughes a few years ago. But I think Adam Warren's in that same category where Jordy puts a little too much stock into him. Maybe that stock's fallen off in uh, recent weeks, as you've seen Warren get up and warm up a lot and not necessarily come into the game. But it's those two guys that it seems like he goes to them a little more than you have to, but maybe you do have to because it's so shorthanded after Batances and Robertson. But do you trust Warren? I mean, I, I don't trust him in the way I say, the same way I don't trust Kelly. You know, I think I think it's the, the question of whether or not you can manage each game at this point in the season as a one-game playoff because, you know, you start doing that 
you're going to be asking Batantis and Robertson to get eight or nine outs every game, which will just sort of tire them out in two weeks. So, you know, Girardi, he doesn't have much of a choice, and I think this is a problem that anybody faces in, in the days of specialized bullpen. You know, you have your top two guys, and the guys who are three and four behind that are not going to be nearly as reliable as you hope. You know, this isn't, this isn't the era of Nelson and Stanton and Rivera and Graham Lloyd and all these guys who would come in and get out for the, for the late 90s Yankees. I mean, I think across baseball you see this problem where you get your, your best pitchers in the bullpen and then the guys behind it are question marks. I mean, at least the Yanks have Warren and Kelly. You look at a team like the Tigers and their bullpen has just been terrible. And, you know, their, their best reliever this year has basically been Jabba Chamberlain. <laughs> well, you brought up a good point um, in a tweet, and uh, I responded to it. That was the fact of the matter that it seems like the Yankees fans are sort of split on David Robertson. Some people believe uh, he should be given a free agent contract. He's going to get paid by somebody, whether it's the Yankees or not, um, in that closer role. And some people believe it should just be given to Batances uh, after the work he's done this year. But when you look back to Robertson coming up, you know, six or whatever, six years ago, and the role he's filled as uh, sort of that jack of all trades, Houdini guy, and now. Uh, seamlessly transitioning into the closer role from Rivera, um, you know, I believe they should give him a contract because he's proven he can do it. He's he's been able to do it here. He's been able to fill the void, uh, whether it was the eighth inning and now the ninth inning. Um, and they're certainly shorthanded in that bullpen when it comes to lead arms. And not only that, but I, I just think it's a move that has to be made, and it's a move that probably should have been made. And he alluded that um, in that quote he gave recently, where uh, you know he said the Yankees could have extended him, they had a chance to get him cheaper, and now will try to test the market. And that sort of goes with the whole Cashman thing about not giving out contract extensions. That's been a Yankees rule, and he's even said that it's applied to him, except for that one time they extended Cano. But don't you think that rule is, you know, a little old school in the fact that the Yankees believed when they maybe instituted that rule that they could outbid anybody anyway when they got to free agency, and now those same players aren't getting there? And don't you think it's time they sort of uh, go back on that rule and maybe get rid of it? Yeah, I mean, I think the Yanks themselves sort of dispute whether or not there's actually a rule in place, and you saw it last season when they extended Gardner before they needed to. But I think they can get a little bit stubborn about some of these players. Um, you know, Robertson, since 2009, when he was basically a full-time major leaguer, has been one of the top relievers in the game. You know, he gives up barely half a home run per nine innings. He strikes out 12 per nine innings. He's, he's got a 2.5 ERA over, what is that, six seasons at this point, or, or almost seven and you know he's somebody that the Yanks probably should have thought about extending sooner but at the same time he knew what his job was going to be this year and he seemed to believe that he could do it so there's no real indication that he would have accepted a good deal you know maybe they would have been able to lock him up for a little bit less um and you know he's he's having an excellent season although it's in line with his career maybe not necessarily a career year but just what he always does so you know there are questions as to whether or not he would have taken the deal that they wanted him to. But I do think, you know, that, that that's something that probably should have been explored more in depth. And I'm very much pro Robertson for next year and beyond because, you know, he's a 29-year-old pitcher who's shown that he can be great in New York in this tough environment. I mean, you're succeeding Mariano Rivera. Nobody wants to do that. And he stepped in and has so far converted, what, 33 out of 35 save opportunities. And the problem is, you know, maybe Batantis can close. You know, who knows if he's going to be this good ever again. He had a lot of command problems in the minor leagues. He had sort of struggled to get to this point. But the problem when you move Batantis to the ninth inning is that you end up then needing to fill the innings that Batantis pitched. And who on this team right now can do that and get out? You know, you, just, you want as many people in that back end of the bullpen 
that you're comfortable with and that you know can do the job so that the guys you're sort of experimenting with in that sixth and seventh inning role don't have to carry as much pressure into the eighth inning. Well, along those same lines with the the extending the guys before their time is up and and uh, sort of another tweet, I don't know if you were being sarcastic or not or not, um, I believed in it, and that was the the idea of Brandon McCarthy extending him. I mean, the, the Diamondbacks sort of got him on the cheap at two years, $15.5 million before last season, so $4 million last year, nine this year. Um, you know, for starting pitching, especially a guy who's now, um, you know, he, he was successful in the past with the A's. He's showing some uh, success again now with the Yankees now that he's out of Arizona in that um, disastrous situation. But here's a guy, uh, I mean, given the rotation status for next year with who knows what will happen with CC. Um, you know, question marks with Tanaka, whether he'll be ready to even go next year if he's going to end up having to need surgery Nova coming back from surgery Kuroda retiring um, <laughs> besides Pineda who's been hurt more than any of those guys over the last three years uh, there's really no one returning to the rotation next year um, and, and maybe their best bet is to look at McCarthy and try to lock him up for something on the cheap because if he hits you know the free market the free agent market there's another guy who's going to go uh, at a high price as well yeah, I mean, considering what McCarthy's done so far on the Yanks, I'd give him a three-year, $33 million contract offer tomorrow and see if he wants to sign it. Um, you know, it was a gamble, and it was a low-risk trade that the Yanks made to acquire him, and so far it's paid off tremendously. I don't think he's going to keep pitching to, you know, a low two ERA for his time in, in the AL East, but he's a guy who's shown that he can get out, he can miss bats, and he can do it in New York well on the Yankees. I think that's a, that's a huge plus. And these guys don't come around too often. You know, you think of all the failed Yankee pitching acquisitions over the last bunch of years, and you see what McCarthy's done. They, they need somebody. You know, as you said, their rotation is full of question marks for next year. I don't, I don't think you can really count on CeCe, given his recent record and his health problems. You know, Tanaka, you hope that he's okay, and they're going to they're gonna push him this September to make sure he's healthy and doesn't need surgery. But beyond that, I mean, you're looking at, Tanaka, CC, Pineda, who are three guys now with health question marks. Phelps, who's been out for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, what do you do behind that? Hope Shane Green is for real or give McCarthy a nice little contract, which you can probably get for, you know, something that the Yanks can afford. Well, with Shane Green being for real, and uh, it, it was a post on River at Blues today about you know, the uh, the change in player development for the Yankees and the kind of the crazy backstory about him, you know, uh, breaking down when he was younger and eating Tommy John surgery at a young age, losing his scholarship, going to community college, um, and then sort of uh, finding a Yankee scout to see him, and that's where his uh, his baseball life changed and became a, uh, a part of the Yankees, and now with the Yankees, obviously, for a few months here. And he's shown the ability to... Uh, to be a middle of the rotation guy, maybe even better, someone who sort of you know wasn't trusted, uh, came out of the bullpen early in the season and got absolutely rocked to the point it seemed like maybe he'd be a chase right and we'd never hear the name Shane Green again. But he's bounced back nicely, and and I guess you could really make a case he's been the best Yankees pitcher now for a few weeks. Yeah, I mean he's the, the performance that he put in over the weekend, even though he didn't get the win, was was something else with ten strikeouts. I mean this was a guy who had sort of scuffled at Triple A. He came up and got out. I think it's a great story. You know, it's, it, there's always a question mark whether or not he's going to keep doing this, and, and I don't have the answers right now. But you know, he's somebody that they look at next year for that fifth starter spot, and he's somebody who's going to make starts down the stretch 
everyone uh, who is pro Girardi and the people who aren't on him about the bullpen decisions he's made, which are the only ones you can obviously question because you can't question guys getting hits or not getting hits, even though they're supposed to. And I feel like you have to manage your team accordingly, whether or not they score runs. And the Yankees have a real problem scoring runs. And the biggest problem of that is obviously the heart of the order, which um, includes Jacoby Ellsbury, Brian McCann, and Carlos Beltran, all three free agent signings, all three part of that $458 million they spent. Spent, um, and obviously Tanaka was a big part of that too. But if you look back at the offseason, um, you know, I was all for the McCann signing, all for the Beltran signing. I wasn't a fan of the Ellsbury signing. Um, you know, I wish they could have done anything they could have to go for Cano. Maybe that's above Cashman. They Maybe that was at the ownership level. Um, but when you look back at the offseason grade for Brian Cashman, a year after missing the playoffs, now to come back, spend a half a billion dollars on this team, and the production you're getting from those three guys isn't ex- exactly what you expected. Um, certainly McCann's been injured a couple times. Ellsbury's played more than I expected for a guy who uh, missed a lot of games in Boston. And then Beltran's had various injuries. Now finally back in the outfield. But, you know, what do you think about those three guys? And and they're all going to be here for a couple more years, and especially for Ellsbury, who'll be here for six more. But, you know, looking now at what they've done for almost a full season, um, how would you grade uh, those three, I guess, as a trio since they all came in at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. The Yanks spent a lot of money in, over the offseason, but they also had a lot of money clear of the books, and they had a lot of holes that they didn't necessarily fill. So I think we can go back and forth and probably end up agreeing as to whether or not they spent their money, they spent enough money and spent it wisely over the 2013-2014 winter. But the truth is that the guys they brought in, at least two of them aren't performing up to expectations. I and mean, I think Ellsbury has been what you would expect him to be. And I think he's playing a little bit out of role. He's not really the guy you want to put into that lineup in the three spot. But because of injuries and lineup construction and, and various other limitations, that's where he's been playing. But, you know, behind him you have Teixeira, who carries some of this blame, Beltran and McCann, and they've all been fairly ineffective. You know, Teixeira's old. He's getting hurt. They still have a couple more years on that contract, but it doesn't look like a good one. Beltran has been a huge disappointment. I mean, you know, you expected him to be like a 25 home run, 280 guy, and he scuffled a lot. He had his elbow problems. He's hit some key home runs, but he hasn't been what you would have expected him to be. And and I don't know what happened to McCann's bat. He's he's stayed healthy, but he hasn't been hitting at all. And I think that's that's been a real disappointing aspect of the season. So you know, the guys they brought in to be that middle of the order when they didn't have a Rod around, who you know flaws and all would still show up and hit. They just haven't done the job, and, and you're in this situation where the team can't score runs. You know, looking at it today, you know the Mariners, who have basically the worst offense in the American League, if you look at their OPS, uh, have outscored the Yankees because the Yankees' situational hitting has just been absolutely terrible. And these are the guys that you need to get hits, and they just aren't doing it. Well, when you look at those three um, and the job that Cashman did in the offseason, I mean, during the season, he I, I believe he's done a good job. I mean, he's patched up a boat. Really, it's just this, you know, it's a boat that's had a lot of holes, and at some point you're going to need a, a new boat. You just can't keep patching it up. But he's done a good enough job to upgrade enough positions. But in the offseason where the money was spent, um, and he spent it on those guys, spent it on Tanaka, who was obviously outstanding before the injury, which, um, you know, no one can really see coming, but... Now coming off this season, if they don't make the playoffs, which right now it's it's a tall order to ask, I still believe that, that there's a chance they could. Obviously, just um, you know a few games out of the set, that second wild card, but I didn't expect them to be playing for the second wild card when the season started. But if they miss the playoffs for the second time, 
um, in as many years. You know, the first time they've done that consecutively since the early 90s. And Cashman's now going to be, you know, his contract's ending. Uh, he's an impending free agent as well um, as mo- a, like almost half of this team. What does the future for him hold? What does the future for the general manager position of this team hold? You know, I don't think they're going to get rid of Cashman. And if they do, they'll just promote somebody who's very similar to him. He's he's done a very good job over his career. And, the, you know, the Yanks, at least in the house time burner era, don't seem to be making decisions on a year-to-year basis. Um, and, and I think Hal almost has himself to blame more than he has Brian Cashman to blame if the story is about spending and, and ownership restrictions are true. You know, I don't, I don't know whose decision it was to, to not go a few more years on Cano, and I think in four or five years we'll probably be on the whole happy that the Yanks didn't sign Cano to a 10-year <laughs> contract. But they didn't fill a hole that Cano left, and they didn't fill it at the time, and they haven't filled it now. And I, I don't know if that's because Cashman's gotten a budget restriction um, or if that's because he hasn't done the right job and those players just aren't available. But I think when you look at what he's managed to do with a limited, with, I mean, I hate to say limited resources because they're still the Yankees, but if you look at what he's done in giving up very few pieces that the Yankees are going to miss, he's done a great job of constructing the team as it is right now. I mean, it might be too little too late, but I don't think that this is really on his shoulders. I think if you want to look at something that is more on his shoulders, it's the fact that the Yankees' farm system has not done a very good job of developing impact players really since, you know, Cano and Gardner came up. Um, you know, Cervelli and Gardner came up at the same time. Robertson came up around then. And, and, at the, and since then, you've really just had a bunch of sort of back end of the rotation guys. But Chances has been a great story. Warren has been sort of mediocre. Phelps, I think the team is higher on Phelps than I am. Um, but but Cashman demanded full control of that farm system years ago, and it hasn't really done anything. Uh, there's some guys there now that you can get excited about, but they're still a few years away. And, and if anything, that's more on Cashman than the way the team is constructed right now. Well, I know that you guys over at River Avenue Blues, you know, you're pretty in tune with the farm system and the way things work. And when you look at the current construction of this team, especially the bullpen, especially the left-handed role, which is given to Rich Hill right now, which is pretty much a joke that he gets to you know, be considered part of the Yankees, travel with this team, collect paychecks, get meal stipends. Uh, you know, when they have two capable left-handers in the minor leagues, and obviously that's that's an issue about um, you know future spending and, and uh, you know arbitration years and, and all that stuff. But when you look towards the September first, which is coming up in only a matter of weeks, um, you know who are some guys that you expect to be on this team? Uh, maybe September calls, maybe some shuffles of the forty-man roster. I mean, is there anyone that we should look forward to seeing? Maybe uh, you know pretty regularly for the last month. Yeah, I saw one guy, the guy who was actually their first draft pick this year, and I think he was the 55th pick of the draft overall, is this kid Jacob Lindgren who came out of Mississippi State. And he's a lefty reliever who has just been utterly blowing away everybody in the minor leagues. He's now up to double A. He's uh, pitched 18.2 innings and has 39 strikeouts. <laughs> so he's a guy who isn't really even facing stiff competition in the minors. And I'm actually a little surprised they haven't been even more aggressive than they have been in getting him into games. You know, for instance, he hasn't made an appearance since the 15th. Um, although, based maybe on they, the way he's maybe they're using him like some, David Robertson down there. Yeah, right. You know, I think it's actually intentional. If you look at his usage log, they've had him pitch every three days for the last two weeks. So I'd imagine he'll pitch tonight. Um, you know, and I think he's a guy who you could see in September. He's that polished, and his stuff is that good. And I think minor league hitters just have no ability to hit him. And then another one is Tyler Webb, who was a draft pick from last season, 
out of South Carolina who's had very similar results. He's he's twenty. Um, he'll be twenty four soon. He's pitching his twenty three season. He's gone through three levels of the minor leagues this year, and he has eighty nine strikeouts in sixty four and third innings. Um, doesn't give up too many home runs. Keeps the ball down. So so two those two guys. I think you'll definitely see in the bullpen mix in 2015. And lately, the Yanks haven't had to really rely on the situational lefty, so Hill stays for now. But you might see both of those guys in September. Well, as we get closer to September now, just 40 games left. Uh, like we said earlier in the podcast, it's going to take between probably 25 to 27 wins of those 40, which is just, right now it just seems impossible because of the way they've played baseball all year. But when you look around the teams they're competing with, um, you know, just a few days ago it was the Royals, and now it's really the Tigers who they have to worry about. Um, and and even, you know, they don't really have to worry about the A's because either the A's or the Angels are going to get in. But um, when you look at those teams, the A's and the Tigers, I mean, on July 31st, everyone sort of penciled them in to be in the ALCS. And now those are two teams that might be looking to play a one-game playoff against each other. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just sort of the nature of the way the game changes so quickly. And you've seen it happen all the time. These teams that come out of nowhere, win a bunch of games, and make it to the World Series. Um you know, I was looking at it. I was looking, the reason why I was looking at the Mariners' offense today is because I was sort of curious to see if they were one of these teams that's built for a, for an October run, and they have the pitching to do it. You know, when you're throwing guys like Felix and Iwakuma out there for two games out of a five or seven, you know, or four games out of a seven game set, you can win while scoring no runs. And if the Yanks can get Tanaka back, and if Pineda can stay healthy, and if you know Green keeps doing this, and you have Kuroda, they're a team that could maybe sort of be eke their way into the playoffs and have a deep run, but everything's going to have to fall right for them. Well, I don't know if it's the uh, if it's you being optimistic about the Yankees, if it's the nice weather in New York City the last few days, but you <laughs> seem to be you seem to be pretty optimistic or, or at least sounded about the way this last six weeks are going to finish. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not too confident in their ability to win to go 27 and 13. They haven't done that <laughs> in a long time. But if they can if they can find a way to do it. You know, that would make for an exciting end of the season, and, and they're a team that, that is built to be able to win a, a postseason uh, post series despite the fact that they're not really excelling at the regular season right now. Well, the thing is, the way last season ended so miserably, and then to watch the postseason unfold the way it did, and to watch the Red Sox win again, and that was a Red Sox team. When you look at what happened in 2012 to them and what's happening this year, you know, that one-year sandwich between two miserable years, really last year, should, this year should have been just what it was last year for them, but every single thing went right for them. Every guy they needed to overachieve did. Every piece they needed to work out worked out. And they just had the most you know, improbable year. Um, I thought going into the season the Yankees were going to need something similar. And now with you know six weeks left, they really are going to need something similar in that uh, aspect to get into this mix, to get into the second wild card. And it pains me to think that I'm here rooting for the Yankees to be in the second wild card because I was so against it when they instituted it. Were you a guy that was for or against the, the five players? No, I was, I, was, I was against it too, and now the last couple of seasons I've been rooting for the Yankees to try to figure out a way to get there. Um, it's funny how that works out, and all you want to do is get to that one game. But, you know, you're, you're totally right, Neil, as you were saying. I mean, they need, that, they need that 2013 Red Sox luck to sort of break their way. And, then, you know, you see that happen with a lot of World Series teams. The ones that have everything go right and who don't have the injuries and who sort of get those career years from everybody are the ones who win. And if the Yanks can sort of find a way to do that, and I don't think there's really a secret other than some good luck, they could, they could, they could do it. It's not likely, but they could. Well, uh, you know, to go here um, with these last few games left in the second wild card, and it just seems like, you know, I was so against it and now I'm for it. And now looking at the Yankees, we got so used to winning the vision and at worst, getting the only wild card, even though they they usually finished with a better record than two of the other playoff teams. Uh, 
And now with the way baseball is going, with people locking up their, uh, you know, their stars, their young players early for long years, and free agency not being what it was, it seems like uh, that that easy road to the playoffs is never going to be the same as it once was for the Yankees. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I was looking through the old Yankee team, sort of trying to compare their record through so many games, and I saw that the '98 Yankees, um, you know, granted I was young then, 12 years old, but you know they were 85 and 29 at one point in the season, and just to think about how easy it was at one point, and now to have to grind out each win. Um, you know, baseball has changed a lot, and maybe this second wild card is going to be one of their only entrances as this backdoor entrance for the foreseeable future to get in. Well, I think Bud Selig would be thrilled to hear you say that, because that means <laughs> the second wild card has done the job. I mean, they wanted more people to be watching in October, and that's what it does. You know, it's going to be the way, it's probably going to be the way, the, you know, maybe the Mariners get into the playoffs for the first time since 2001 that way as well, or instead, you know, so it's it's... It's, it's getting teams into the playoffs that haven't been there for a while. It's keeping people watching, and it's keeping hopes alive, you know, for, for these borderline franchises, for the franchises that are on the bubble right now. You know, the Yanks, if there was only one wild card, the Yanks would be dead in the water right now. They're so far behind Anaheim. Um, but, you know, it keeps our interest going. It keeps, it keeps something to fight for. Well, at 63 and 59, we're, we're definitely going to have to talk again before this is all said and done. But as of right now, I'm saying they have to do a 5-1 and one homestand here. I said 4-2 and two earlier today, but now I've looked at the other team's schedules and, and looked how it's played out. Um, there's a lot of Minnesota on the schedule for Kansas City and Detroit. Baltimore's got just the biggest joke schedule I, I can't even imagine for the last six weeks of the season with the interleague teams they've got lined up and, and Minnesota and the Reds, the Cubs, the Red Sox. Uh, but really a 5-1 and homestand here is going to have to cut it, and uh, we'll talk again, but as of right now, you know, Yankees in or out of the playoffs? I don't know. I think i got to say out, but maybe they'll pleasantly surprise me. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, thanks for your time today, and uh, like I said, we'll talk again um, maybe around that Jeter day, which uh, the Yankees, you know, trying to milk that Sunday game against the Royals, which at the time they probably thought was meaningless, but now it could be very Ouch. meaningful. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll talk again before the season and, uh, you know, hopefully get this 5-1 and one minimum homestand, and uh, maybe in a week things will change back in their favor and they'll be sitting right there. That'll be next. All right, Ben. Thanks again. You got it, Neil.